0: You're listening to the St. Mark's Podcast for December 4th, 2022, the second Sunday of Advent. Today's sermon was given by the Reverend Dr. Justin Crisp. It's based on Matthew, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. So the difference between the words John the Baptist said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near, and those which he might have said but didn't can change your life. It might not seem apparent to you on a first reading of the gospel lesson from Matthew. But the difference between repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near and repent so that the kingdom of heaven will come near is everything. It's huge. This is a sermon about why John the Baptist is an inheritor and a reinterpreter of a long history of messianic expectation in, S- in ancient Judaism. It's a tradition which got started with God's promise to King David in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me, and your throne will be established forever. It didn't, and it wasn't. David's kingdom was conquered and subjugated by one empire after another. The Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, and by the time that John the Baptist comes on the scene, the Romans. But the Romans are just the latest iteration of an empire subjugating the people of David. And people like John the Baptist expected for God to make good on God's promise to David eventually, to make good on it one day. He and others expected, in other words, like these words from the book of Daniel, that the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Now John conceived of himself as the messenger and as the harbinger of this kingdom, which could never be destroyed. He thought of himself as a new Elijah, whom the prophet Malachi in the Hebrew Bible said would usher in what Malachi calls the kingdom the great and terrible day of the Lord this is the significance of the crazy clothing that John is wearing so it said that John wore clothing of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and Elijah was famously hairy okay and he wore a leather belt that's from 2nd Kings chapter 1 So it's as though John the Baptist is dressing up as his hero here, Elijah. He's trying to say, I am Elijah. It's also the reason for all of the fire imagery in John's message. The chaff burning with unquenchable fire and so on. John doesn't invent this himself. He takes it from Malachi. So Malachi says that the day of the Lord, the coming of the kingdom, this fulfillment finally at last of the promise to David is going to burn like an oven, Malachi says, and all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. Now, later on, when John is in prison, Jesus himself is going to confirm John's sense that he is this new Elijah who has come to announce the day of the Lord. This is actually our gospel lesson next week. It's for next Sunday. John is going to be called by Jesus the Elijah who is. To come, But in those nine words with which I open my sermon, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near, John has put a twist on Malachi's prophecy that I think no one except Jesus expected. Malachi builds on a tradition of ancient Jewish thought Strand of prophetic thought within ancient Judaism, which emerged particularly out of the experience of the Babylonian captivity or exile when the people of Judah were exiled to Babylon in the 6th century B.C. This strand of the prophetic tradition considered the exile to be God's punishment for the people's sins. By the time Malachi comes on the scene, the exile is over, the people have returned to Judah, they're back in Jerusalem, temple worship has resumed and so on, but Malachi is upset with the people because Malachi thinks that no sooner had the people gotten back to Jerusalem from Babylon than they began to get lazy, they began to sin again, they became lax. And Malachi is trying to call the people to go back to the spiritual gym, as it were, to shape up, to be better. Malachi reports that God has told him, I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, have not perished. Which is to say, the only reason you sinful people are still around is because I am faithful. It's not because you happen to be particularly great. I don't change and that's a good thing for you that's the only reason why you're not still in Babylon that's how God starts to Malachi it gets even spicier ever since the days of your ancestors God says you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them return to me and I will return to you says the Lord of hosts return to me and I will return to you. That's what John the Baptist could have said. Repent, so the kingdom of heaven will come near. Return to God, and God will return to us. Get your lives in line, and God will come back. But that is not what he said. It's not what he said. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. The original Greek is even stronger than the English. Grammatically, the verb translated has come near is in the perfect active indicative. Don't give up on me. The perfect active indicative. What that means is that it's an action that has started and it's still going and it will one day be completed but it started. In the words of one biblical scholar, John's announcement for the reign of the heavens has drawn near, should not be construed as something that soon will happen. It's a process that has already begun, but awaits its completion. It has begun, the scholar says, because Jesus, in light of his Genesis as God's son, is its very embodiment. I think that in the Gospel of Matthew in particular, Jesus' arrival is the coming of the day of the Lord. It is the coming of the day of the Lord if John is his Elijah. Jesus is God returning to his people. Jesus is the Lord suddenly rushing into his temple. In words from Malachi made famous by Handel's Messiah, Jesus is the kingdom of heaven. John is saying, repent because God is here. Repent because it's happening. It's actually happening. It's actually happening now. John's call to repentance reverses the customary relationship, the customary order between repentance and God's favor and presence. And in so doing, he revolutionizes everything we have ever thought about God and goodness. Our relationship with God is not like that one time we decided spitefully never again to talk to our so-called friend until they verbally said to us, I'm sorry. It's not what God is like. We might be like that, but God is not. God is not waiting on an apology. It's rather more like one night when I was 16 or 17. I I cannot remember what we were arguing about. I cannot remember what I did. I did something. I'll tell you that. I did something. I just can't remember. I blocked it out. I was arguing with my dad. And at some point in the argument, my dad just opened his arms and invited me to hug him. And it was while I was hugging him that I began to cry and to say, Dad, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. That's what our relationship with God is like. The embrace always comes first, and it does not depend on us, it only depends on Him. I have been trying to come up with a way to communicate to you all the hope that I found in this crazy text from the Gospel of Matthew, these crazy words from, let's be honest, a crazy man, John the Baptist because our world is crazy. And if you're like me, all you want is for God to give you a hug. What I did was I wrote a new text for a hymn, stayed up way too late on Wednesday night. Jewel didn't know what in the world had gotten into me. I wrote a new text for a hymn to a tune which is by my mentor, John Tiro. John is a Lutheran pastor and he's a singer-songwriter. He has a number of country hits, which you might know if you're into country music, particularly by uh, people like Diamond Rio. Uh, but by the time I met John, John was, um, he was a Lutheran pastor. He went to Yale Divinity School, which is how I ended up here in Connecticut. Uh, John got me in, as it were, John and his wife, Misty. And um, John was the campus minister at the Lutheran and Episcopal Campus Ministry at the University of Tennessee, where I went to college. John wrote this hymn tune, uh, which he calls Transfiguration, for a set of texts by, our, by the man who eventually became my preaching professor. He had been, at the time, his preaching professor, Tom Troger, uh, who died just this last year. Um, so I've written a new text to John's tune, um, and I just want to say... Uh, for the for the stream here, because John, um, uh, you, you might be listening and you might listen sometime soon. I'm sorry for butchering your tune even though you coached me on it a couple of days ago, uh, but I'm deeply grateful to you for your music. Um, John's music is, is like, um, it's like Mother's Kitchen for me. It's like sitting at home whenever you first get in after a trip and you're just sitting around the kitchen table. And that's the feeling that I, I hope will come across to you. Um, the words of this The words of the hymn are found in your service leaflet. You don't have to sing it. You don't have the music in front of you. But I'd like to sing it for you.
1: Help us, Lord, like John, to see you swiftly rushing to our side. Waiting not for us to love you, for your glory to abide. We were scared and cold and cunning when you found us wet with tears. You just put your arms around us and your kingdom had come near. Take our broken hearts and heal them. Take our vengeful wills away. Melt them in your fiery presence. Bring us to your glorious day. will give up hunting and will lay down every spear every creature joined in friendship all because their lord is near Lord, you see us lost and helpless Drifting, wandering far from you Unlike us, please do not tarry Come, Lord, quickly and break through Christ our lamp Every darkness perfect love Cast out all fear Give us grace like John To see you every instant drawing